The other thing we always recommend is if you've had that foam, start thinking about getting the manure out of the barn early. A whole new era of communication in the Canadian swine industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the Canadian and global swine industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Our nutrition group includes four companies, Nutrition Althena, Shakespeare Mill, Farmhouse, and Nutrition Partners, which serve swine producers all across Canada. Swine Veterinary Partners comprises four well-established clinics across Canada, Precision Veterinary Services, Premier SHP, Demeter, Ontario, and Demeter, Quebec. AX3 Digest is a highly digestible source of protein with a low level of potassium, giving young animals a healthy start. High D from DSM Ferminish can improve your pig's vitamin D status. High D offers pure, proven performance to help your pigs thrive. Welcome to the Swine It Podcast Show Canada, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and everything that's working in the Canadian and global swine industry. Good day and welcome to Swine It Canada. My name is John Patience and I'll be the host for today's podcast. With me today is Dr. Dan Anderson, who's with Iowa State University. Uh, and we're going to be talking about various aspects of so we call them manure management, manure safety issues, uh, things like foaming and so on. So welcome, Dan. Thanks for having me, John. Great. Well, it's great to have you with us. And uh, before we go much further, I think the audience in the U.S. is probably very familiar with you, but the audience in Canada may be somewhat less so. So if you could introduce yourself, please, that would be helpful. Absolutely. So I work at Iowa State University in the Ag and Biosystems Engineering Department, where I'm an associate professor and extension specialist. And I get the wonderful title of being Dr. Manure. And I always tell people that's <laughs> Iowa's the greatest place to do that. Uh, we have lots of swine production, lots of egg production, but our crop production really does support a, a lot of use for manure. So there's no better place in the nation in my mind than, than really trying to do that right here. I get to work on all aspects of manure. And today we're going to talk about safety issues. Uh, I did a lot of research work and outreach work related to foam uh, when we had an outbreak starting in 2012. Uh, so got pretty familiar with that and understanding some of the causes and what we might be able to do about it. But also get to do a lot of work on just nutrient management planning, trying to take manure and utilize it as a fertilizer resource on our farm. Uh, get to do some work on fertilizer treatments, uh, trying to separate nutrients from manure, and then now get to do a fair amount of work on anaerobic digestion uh, to try and reduce the carbon footprint of swine operations and hopefully make a, a little money from that. So had uh, quite a while of experience with manure here in Iowa, which is really swine related. And before that, I grew up with dairy cows. So always knew I wanted to work with manure and, and was lucky enough to get into the industry. When it comes to purity, performance, and immunity, Hi-D has been helping pigs and producers stand strong for years. As a proven source of pure 25-OH-D3 for diet fortification, Hi-D is the fastest and most efficient way to provide pigs with essential vitamin D. One product, seven years on the market, more than 100 research trials, and millions of pigs fed. There's only one Hi-D. Learn more at dsm.com forward slash hy-d. Well, fantastic, Dan, and we're delighted to have you with us today. Uh, I like the title of Dr. Manure. Uh, it could be worse. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and um, 
but I maybe will explain for our Canadian audience, because this is not typical in Canada, but at what we call land-grant universities in the U.S., like Iowa State University, um, there is an extension component to our, um, our mission. And so it's typical at land-grant universities to have faculty who are dedicated at least part of their time to extension activities. And you would fall into that category, Dan. And, and I think that's a nice, uh, I, I really like that structure. Whoever came up with that in this country, I guess it was over 100 years ago, maybe even 150 years ago. That was, a, that was brilliant thinking. Absolutely. I think that's one of my favorite parts of the job. Uh, annual, I get to talk to about uh, 4,000, 4,500 uh, people right here in Iowa who either are land applying manure or own the animals, right? So I get firsthand, what problems are they facing? What do they really need us to be thinking about and working on to help support them? And, and it's a great place to get feedback and it really does make a difference. Right. So, and let's talk about some of the non-nutrient components of manure. We might talk about that in, a, in another podcast, but let's talk about some of the other issues related to manure management. And you mentioned foaming. So let's maybe let's start uh, with that one and tell us a little bit more about what you mean by foaming. Uh, if I'm a pork producer and I walk into my barn, what am I possibly going to see? And if I see it, what do I do about it? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, first off, foam, if you see it, is a real problem, right? Uh, for the most part in Iowa and around the Midwest and up into Canada, we've focused on more deep pit production. So manure storages below slats in the barn. Uh, and what foam is, is think of whipped cream or meringue. And we sort of get this gelatinous, bubbly material that's sitting on top of the liquid manure. And it's filling up with gases that are coming from the manure. And in the worst cases I've seen, we have that foam layer, that meringue layer, uh, get in the neighborhood of one to two meters thick. So a sizable portion, it's occupying a lot of the space. Uh, if it gets up into that animal zone and the animals break that foam, it releases noxious gases right in their breathing zone. So it's especially high in methane, carbon dioxide, and hydrogen sulfide, all of which can be dangerous. Uh, what we've saw and really got us to focus on this problem was when that foam built up, if we did anything that broke the foam, uh, ran sprinklers to try and knock the foam back in the pit or agitated manure to try and break that foam down, we got very rapid release of methane and methane can be explosive if it's between the concentrations of 5 to 15% in the air. And when we break a lot of that foam quickly, we tend to get those concentrations in swine barns. And all of a sudden, any spark could start a fire or cause an explosion. So it was a big safety issue for both the workers, but also the pigs in the barn. So that's what really drove us to try and understand it and start developing some safety tips. Uh, so what we recommend if you've ever had foam before is to be checking your pits at least monthly, uh, much more frequently every week or every two weeks uh, during the late summer, early fall application season. Uh, that's when we tend to see foam is the the highest or at least the most problematic. Uh, so the number one thing to do is just start looking and noting if we have it. If you see foam and it's sort of a a crust or just a little small bubbles that are uh, 30 centimeters or so, that's not so bad. Don't get excited. It's when we see more than that 30 centimeter sort of level of foam that we really want to do something or have an intervention and, and treat for foam. Um, 
there's a few things to think about. One, as we, we looked at what was causing foam, uh, we tended to see that better water conservation on barns. So switching to wet, dry feeders, maybe switching to dietary ingredients that had more fiber and were a little less digestible, tended to increase how often foam was occurring. Uh, the second thing we saw is the microbial community is different. And that's both helpful and not helpful because I don't really know how to influence microbial community directly, but we know that it does cause a change of who the key players in that manure are. And that means some of our treatment strategies are trying to get that microbial community back to what we would more traditionally have seen. And there's some manure additives, ionophores, uh, that you can throw into the manure and, and they really target some of those key bacteria that are more prevalent in foaming manures and not in those non-foaming manures. Uh, so uh, examples of ionophores include something like rumensin or coban or this swine variant of that, which is nerisin or sold under the trade name Skyseas. Uh, dosing rates of somewhere in the neighborhood of five pounds of, of that additive per thousand gallons of manure uh, tend to shut down methane production for short periods of time and drastically reduce that methane rate for uh, extended periods of time, two to three months, which generally is enough to help mitigate some of that foam. The other thing we always recommend is if you've had that foam, start thinking about getting the manure out of the barn early. While those treatments can be effective against large volumes of manure, it's hard to get it well mixed, uniformly distributed, and it's just hard in general to cause changes in the microbial community when we have lots of manure there. So if you've done something like recently took the manure out of the barn with a pump out, you don't have much manure left, that microbial community's undergone something that looks vastly different, and it's a little easier to, to provide a treatment that will change that microbial community for the long term, rather than sort of putting a Band-Aid on it and saying, we're going to get by for another month or two and, and then have to try and figure it out again. Gotcha. Yeah. So, um, uh, so number one key is to check the manure at least monthly. This is assuming you have a deep pit system under the barn. Because uh, I know in, in Western Canada, a lot of uh, barns, their manure is stored outside. They have shallow pits mm -hmm. and they will store outside. But in other parts of Canada, they, they would have deep pits. So check it, you say, monthly, but ideally even more frequently if you think you might have a problem. Absolutely. And especially during that late summer, early fall, every two weeks, I think it is really critical. And while I focus more on deep pits, uh, that's because we saw more of these foaming issues in deep pits here in Iowa. But we also had some slurry stores, so out of barn storages, where we did have foaming develop. It wasn't as frequent. It wasn't uh, as often. But foam can happen at those systems. Uh, you generally see it sooner. And it's also not quite as much of a safety risk being right in the animal zone, but it is something from an environmental standpoint. Uh, we've had a few cases where that foam would come up over top the slurry store and, and we had an environmental condition that we had to clean up. Wow. Yes. Yeah. So just a, a really unpleasant uh, secondary problem in manure handling that um, if you've never had it, count, count yourself lucky. And if you do have it, you've got some suggestions on some practical ways of dealing with it. Are there other possible options available, Dan, beside number one, moving manure out early, or two, using the ion force that you mentioned? There are a few other things you can do. Uh, we've had some good luck with using proteases, so some enzymes specifically designed to break down proteins. One of the things that we saw was holding the foam together was a lot of protein material that's bonding to some microbial exudates, so some microbial sugars, which really does make it a lot 
like meringue where we're trying to get egg protein to bond onto sugar. This is this is that manure meringue, uh, not quite as appetizing, but from a science perspective, pretty similar. So some of the things we know about making good meringue or having your meringue fall flat actually help us out here. And protein is really important. So adding a protease, uh, which many manure additives have, uh, especially a protease related to bacillus bacteria or bacillus, adding bacillus bacteria directly can be effective. And then the third thing we've seen, especially if you're trying to do short-term foam mitigation, like I have a foaming problem, it's also maybe foaming up a little bit when I'm adding it to a tanker, uh, adding just surfactants, something designed to change the surface tension so that bubbles don't last can be extremely effective. One that a lot of people had success with there is just a crop oil, any type of crop oil. But if you're going to add a crop oil, it's really important to make sure you have a plan to start land applying that manure within a week or two. Because that crop oil will start to break down. And when it does, it it will make more methane. And we tend to get a lot more bubbles. And it actually will make the foam worse long term because we've added food for that microbial community. But for a short term fix, especially if I'm going to get the manure out soon, it will break those bubbles because we reduce the surface tension and take care of some of your foaming issues. Uh, a couple of th- points on maybe ru- using rumensin or an ionophore. Uh, Skyces is legal to be fed to pigs. Some people do it. If you're using it directly as a manure additive, I like to mix it in a five-gallon bucket first with some water and then pour it in periodically through the pump outs. Just getting it mixed into water beforehand helps to make sure that it's going to fall into the manure rather than the solid particles getting hung up in the foam. So if that material is stuck in the foam, it doesn't make a difference for us. We really need that material to get down into the actual manure below and just mixing it in with a little water is really helpful from that. You don't need to go through the barn and sprinkle it has been my experience. If you just put it in the pump outs, uh, it will, it's soluble. So it will diffuse and spread into the barn. Right. Oh, wow. That makes it a whole lot easier. Yeah. Yes. I was trying to think of how you would apply the ionophore in the barn with the pigs chewing at your ankles. And so yeah, doing, using the pump outs would be a lot easier. Yeah. Use the pump outs. I've never tried to do it in a barn. I've had great luck from the pump outs. Uh, my only times I haven't had success with it really are if we haven't mixed it in with that water. We do have to get it into contact with manure, and that is extremely important. Gotcha. Um, very good. Okay. Any final comment? Well, maybe let's just talk about the methane component of the foam story, Dan. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading uh, in some of your early work, you were measuring methane concentrations within the foam. And it was downright scary. Yeah. So manures are always going to make methane, especially liquid manures. Um, Just like if we were doing anaerobic digestion, this is a very similar process, just less controlled. Uh, The foam itself is capturing the gases that come off. And what you'll see in the foam is methane concentrations anywhere between 50 and 70% methane. So it is extremely high in methane. And that's why when I tell you concentrations of 5 to 15% are explosive, If we start with 50 to 70% methane in a few meters of foam and release that rapidly in the barn, we are right in those concentrations. So a few other safety precautions to think about. If you have lots of foam, especially if it's getting into the animal zone, we're going to have to do something to break that foam. And I like to sprinkle it, but when you're sprinkling water on top of it to try and knock that foam back, running your ventilation system is extremely important. Um, especially as we get to winter here, we might get more minimum ventilation situations. And if you're doing anything to break foam, when you start breaking it and if you took uh, 
a meter and a half of foam and started saying, what does that mean for concentrations in the barn? We're going to be upwards of 20, 25% methane in that concentration for a short period of time. And our goal really with that ventilation system is to get it out of the barn. So if you do anything to break foam, uh, my recommendation is to make sure you're running higher ventilation rates for at least 30 minutes. During those 30 minutes, you should take precautions to minimize any sparks in your barn, right? So if you have mm-hmm. heaters with pilot lights or if you have uh, reignition heaters where they're going to spark to try and re- relight the gas, turning those off for a short period of time, right? Get that methane ventilated out. And then once we're through that 30 minutes, uh, we're going to be back in safe concentrations as long as your ventilation system is working. So before you do that, check your ventilation system over. Are the pit fans actually operational? Uh, do the end wall fans look like they're they're functional and performing? Do they turn on when we go to a higher stage just like they should? Gotcha. Okay. So um, would you go so far then, Dan, let's say, as you mentioned, that we're in getting into the winter months, we're actually seeing some winter weather here <laughs> rather late this year. Um, would you go full bore on ventilation and just go to maximum ventilation or open curtains completely or how far do you need to go? Yeah, I wouldn't go quite to full ventilation in the winter. Uh, I'm hoping we can get somewhere in the neighborhood of 12 air exchanges per hour is really my goal for 30 minutes. And as long as you're getting that, and that should be somewhere around all your pit fans running, uh, a couple end wall fans if you have them. If you are a curtain wall and don't have any end wall fans to turn on and help us out here, obviously monitor your air speeds, make sure you're you're getting good ventilation to the barn. But if you would drop that something like uh, six inches, 30 centimeters, we're going to be in okay shape. And the reason that's going to occur is methane is lighter than air. So it's going to keep going up in that barn and we're going to be able to exhaust it out. Now, when we talk about hydrogen sulfide, which is going to be our, our next topic, uh, some of the properties are different, right? Hydrogen sulfide is denser than air. So we have to think about how it's going to partition in the barn a little bit differently and what that means for some ventilation strategies. But with with methane, it is lighter than air. So as long as we're getting those 12 air exchanges per hour, uh, we're going to be, be cleaned up in 30 minutes. If you run low ventilation, certainly we can get all the methane out, but you're going to have to adjust sort of how long the time we run that is, right? So we're really trading ventilation time with ventilation rate. So if you're running uh, something like six air exchanges per hour, rather than me saying 30 minutes, I'm going to ask for an hour, hour and a half of that to to exhaust it. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. And are there other issues with methane getting into that 15 to 25 parts per million? other than uh, a risk of explosion? Yeah, not, not especially. The, the biggest one we're going to worry about is the risk of explosion. When we do break that foam, we're going to have a large amount of CO2 come out. Again, CO2 is denser than air. So depending on how full your manure storage is at the time, that CO2 might be lifted up in the animal zone or it might s- settle down below the slats and be okay for us. But really the second part of breaking foam is, is that as- asphyxiation risk. And that's more related to hydrogen sulfide than to the methane release. The methane to me is really an explosion issue and that's what we're paying the most attention to. Uh, CO2 will, will do okay on ventilating it as long as you have some space in your pit to take that CO2. And as long as the foam wasn't in the pig space, we should be okay. Right, okay. And maybe it would be appropriate to mention uh, Dan, that in our experience, certainly much more in years than mine, but we do know in the pig industry here that explosions have occurred as a result of uh, methane accumulation. So this is not a theoretical problem. This is a problem that is real, can occur, 
And um, I think we both know people who have been caught up in in uh, uh, barn explosions. Yeah, I think that's that was really one of the drivers for the research of why we focused on it is the ex- explosions out in production barns said, what is happening? We better focus on what's really going on here and trying to understand the mechanism. Uh, I think foaming explosions have been down in recent years, but I often still get reports of one or two around the Midwest per year. And that's with a, a fair amount of outreach on what are we doing to mitigate foam? Are you monitoring if you have foam? And oftentimes people still doing some treatments to try and handle it. So it is definitely a serious problem. Right. And it sounds that given that the number of instances is it has declined in the Midwest, that your efforts and those of your colleagues in extension have worked and that people have developed an understanding and appreciation for foam and what to do when they see it. Absolutely. I think it's been effective from that standpoint. More people are prepared to manage it when they see it. Uh, Unfortunately, we still do see a fair number of instances of foam and and it's fluctuated from year to year, thankfully. Uh, It had been down for a while and just this last year, uh, I've gotten more reports of foam here again in Iowa and around the Midwest. So it is something that we have to be mindful of. I think uh, when I look at what we learned about it, uh, as we tend to get to some of the solids concentrations that are a little bit thicker, uh, maybe five to eight, nine percent solids content in the manure, that tends to be where we see the most foaming activity. And better water conservation in swine barns has taken us to that range. So it's probably something we're going to have to deal with for a while moving forward. Right. And given the fact that water supply is becoming an increasing issue, and that's only going to become more so in the future. Uh, that aspect of it is uh, is not going to go away either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's going to be something that we have moving forward. I think the second thing we wanted to talk about today was maybe hydrogen sulfide risks. Yes, we would. And if you don't mind. Hydrogen sulfide, again, when we think about noxious gases from manure, we've talked about a few already. We have that methane, and that's really an explosion risk. Uh, we have carbon dioxide. Uh, that's an asphyxiation risk, but extremely minimal risk most of the time. And then the two other gases that we generate are ammonia, which is related to nitrogen, and then hydrogen sulfide. Uh, especially in winter, low ventilation conditions, we might find in, uh, ammonia concentrations in our barn with a deep pit up to 25 parts per million. That might make your voice raspy. It might make your eyes water a little bit. Certainly, it's not uh, everyone's favorite thing you'll notice when you see it, but it doesn't tend to be life-threatening. Hydrogen sulfide, on the other hand, uh, tends to be oversaturated in every manure. So the moment we do anything to that manure, uh, start agitating it, disturb the surface, we're going to have hydrogen sulfide coming out of the manure. Uh, Hydrogen sulfide, uh, it's really easy to detect with your nose at low concentrations. You can smell it at one to two parts per billion. And you think, yay, that's great. I can pick it up. Unfortunately, by the time we get to concentrations that are dangerous to human health, your nose is saturated and you can't tell anymore, which makes our nose a terrible safety detector. In my experience, almost every time we're agitating manure, uh, that foot above the manure surface is going to have hydrogen sulfide concentrations somewhere between 300 and more than 1,000 parts per million. Uh, when I think about safety, anything above uh, 500 is almost immediately fav- fatal to human health. Anything above over 100 uh, can start causing headaches and dizziness and, and things of that nature. So it can get dangerous relatively quickly if that hydrogen sulfide gets above the animal zone or if it's blown out an exhaust fan towards us as a manure applicator. Uh, and those conditions are at least potentially present every time we are pumping or agitating manure. So it's something we always have to be mindful of. 
A few things to think about and that we've seen recently. As we've seen more and more people incorporating distiller's grains into the diet, distiller's grains tend to be concentrated in sulfur relative to other feed ingredients. And that happens at least in part due to the processing at the plants. We'll often use sulfuric acid for pH control and for cleaning. So when you think, I've done this for a while, I've never had a hydrogen sulfide issue. Okay, but we've changed how we're feeding pigs. We've reduced the water content that we have. So sulfur concentrations in manures are increasing. Uh, What I've seen here in Iowa is historically we tested around three pounds of sulfur per thousand gallons. Over the last five or six years, we've tested much closer to nine pounds of sulfur per thousand gallons. So that means our risk of hydrogen sulfide coming out of that manure is, is about three times greater. And I think that's one of the reasons why we tend to see more incidents today. The second thing is ventilation is extremely important when we're agitating. Uh, at most of the cases where I've seen challenges with hydrogen sulfides leading to pig death, oftentimes the pit fans aren't working correctly. Uh, maybe they won't turn on at all. Maybe the cone on the backside that's supposed to stop air from blowing at it them uh, ha- has been removed. But really, number one is checking over your pit fans. Pit fans are going to help. Hydrogen sulfide's heavier than air, so it's going to pool down towards that manure surface. And pit ventilation can help draw some of that hydrogen sulfide out, especially at times where it's more concentrated, like when we're uh, agitating manure. Uh, running higher ventilation rates during agitation is critical, right? No one should go in the barn. It should be a lockout, tagout. Uh, I recommend getting yourself a personal hydrogen sulfide detector. Uh, lots of companies make them these days for $100 to $200. You can get a meter that beeps at you. If hydrogen col- sulfide concentrations get in that 20, 25 parts per million range, uh, my experience has been normally if, if you're an applicator and you're outside the barn and it beeps at you, if you take a step or two back, we tend to be in good air again, back to safety. Uh, if you are trying to use them to understand hydrogen sulfide in the barn, if you hold them in front of a fan, uh, if you see elevated levels where that detector goes off, it's a good indication that maybe I should reduce the rate I'm agitating or at least slow down the changes I'm making to my agitation until I've exhausted more of the hydrogen sulfide from the air and the ventilation system of the barn catches up, or it's a sign that we have to do something to adjust our ventilation in the barn to a higher rate. Uh, Certainly, it is extremely dangerous. With hydrogen sulfide, unfortunately, we tend to see uh, two to three incidences and deaths around the Midwestern United States per year. And I think most people know about it, but in the heat of the moment, they forget about that risk. And if someone goes down in the barn, your first instinct is always to go after them. Uh, It's really challenging. You you tend to not be able to hold your breath as long as you think you can when you're trying to go retrieve someone. In those incidences, we often see two people go down. So I think with hydrogen sulfide, the key points I want to say is anytime we're agitating manure, it is going to be coming out of that manure. Our goal is really to balance the, the rate it's coming out of the manure at with what we're ventilating at. I think meters, personal hydrogen sulfide detectors are an extremely beneficial tool for helping understand ventilation rates and for personal safety. I try and wear one every time I'm out at a site where manure application is going on at these days, uh, just from a, a safety awareness standpoint and for understanding some of those risks. It is heavier than air, So we know it's going to try and accumulate below that slat area right on top of the manure surface. Uh, A few things you can do that really help with that. If you're like the Midwest, where we tend to use the pump-out port is where a ventilation fan, a pit fan would, would sit. That's supposed to be an exhaust area from the barn. When you remove that fan from that port and drop your agitation equipment, in, it turns into an air inlet oftentimes uh, by dropping a pump-out curtain, which is really a tarp with a weight on it. Behind that pump out, we can block air from moving in the barn. And that's really beneficial uh, to us because 
any air that's flowing down on the manure surface is really displacing some of that hydrogen sulfide and lifting it up into the animal zone. So that's that's an easier way to mitigate it. Uh, again, keep everyone out of the barn. Uh, higher ventilation rates during times of agitation, leaving them on for at least an hour or two after we've quit agitation because there will be hydrogen sulfide pooled up on top of the manure. Uh, and just being vigilant to the potential for issues. If you're a commercial manure applicator and, and like to stretch your legs and walk around between loads, uh, just be cognizant of walking right in front of ventilation fans that might be spitting out some of that hydrogen sulfide uh, for you as well. And then a few agitation points. Uh, avoid surface agitation. Uh, when we're agitating with the, both nozzles below the manure, uh, the rate that hydrogen comes out at is much more controlled. If we start doing surface agitation, uh, say to break up a crust, we get a lot of turbulence and all of a sudden the rate that sulfur comes out of that manure is extremely rapid and we really can't ventilate fast enough to keep up. A few other things, if there's pillars inside your manure storage, avoid aiming your agitator right at a pillar. Again, the same sort of effect. We get a lot of churning and that churning would cause the hydrogen sulfide to come out more rapidly. And then being cognizant of pointing the, the agitator at corners or dead zones in the barn where we aren't going to get both good ventilation or that agitator throw is going to churn against the back wall and help more hydrogen sulfide come out. We know it's going to come out. So it's really a balancing act between agitating well enough that we get the solid suspended and at a controlled rate that the barn is ventilating that hydrogen sulfide out and not letting it build up to, to levels that might be toxic to animals. It's time for our famous three. Wow, there's a lot of a uh, lot of good information there, Dan. I really appreciate that, and I appreciate your time. We're uh, running out of time. We have uh, three questions that we like to ask our our guests each time. Um, a little little bit off the wall, but the but our readers, our listeners, excuse me, appreciate it. And the first question is: Do you have a book in a swine related book that you find particularly? useful or helpful to you and you would recommend to our listeners as, as a good reference or a good book to read? Midwest Plan Service is an extension program that was started a long time ago, and they came up with a manure characteristics and handling book in the 1980s that is still, it's been updated, but it's still a great reference for just understanding manure challenges, seeing pictures and engineering designs of some different systems, and I think talks through all the basics. So uh, even hydrogen sulfide basics, when we're talking about those noxious gases, I make my class use it because I think it's a great resource and, and lays out the problem really succinctly. And so if somebody just Googled Midwest Plant Service, they'd be able to track that down? Absolutely. You'll still get an ISU website link and you'll still be able to get it. It'll be from the ISU Publications Distribution now, but it'll still be there. Fantastic. Very good. Great suggestion. Our second question then is any book. I don't know if you have time in your world, Dan, to read <laughs> books uh, for leisure or for professional development, but are there any books not related to swine that you have found to be uh, particularly um, relaxing or particularly rewarding? Mm -hmm. So I think I read a book, it was called Holy Shit, actually. So it's a manure book, right? And it was just about how we've thought about manure through the ages. And I really appreciated it. He was a little negative on academics. So, you know, I was, I was a little disheartened <laughs> about that. And he said, we're sometimes a little slow about catching on to where the public is. And I thought, yeah, that can happen. But if you have an extension appointment, you get some of the feedback. But I thought just from a, a fun, enjoyable book, it doesn't dive as deeply into the science, but it lays out how people might think about using manure. And I, I really like that. And it, it had a sense of humor about uh, being in the number two business, which I appreciated. 
<laughs> Very good. And then the final question is particularly helpful to our younger listeners, those that might still be in school or very early in their career. Um, in, in your opinion, what sets successful swine professionals apart from the crowd? Getting your hands dirty, right? I think just uh, oftentimes you'll, you'll meet a student here who has good training. They've learned a lot of skills, but it's really getting a chance to put those into practice. Uh, getting on the farm and saying, why are we doing it this way? Uh, be curious about it, right? I think we teach a lot of things in the classroom, and sometimes that's made really clear how it applies to you at your farm. Other times it isn't, but start asking questions like, why are we doing it that way? Why might this way work better? How does this relate to things that, that they, they showed me? So it's really be curious, be open and listening, and uh, try and talk to people about how they're doing things, right? I learn a lot from farmers just in, in general conversation about what they've tried, what it's worked for them, what hasn't. And, and I think as a professional in the industry, especially in manure, it's my job to say, what science do we know that supports what they're doing, that doesn't support what they're doing? or that we just don't know so they can help us understand a new approach. But be curious. Yeah, that's great. I like the, uh, uh, no, I'm sure it was no pun intended of getting your hands dirty. <laughs> yeah. And um, But you're right. I, I think for all of us in academia, it's great to, uh, to be able to get out on the farm, into the barn, um, or talking to other people associated with the industry, veterinarians, nutritionists, uh, engineers, and so on, builders. Uh, we can learn from from all of them. And in your particular case, you're in a unique position, Dan, because you get to share that knowledge with students in the classroom and, That's right. and, and make your classes even more relevant to the practical situation. And it's extremely rewarding always to talk to students, hear what they're thinking and, and hear what they're curious about. So I love it. Right on. I, I can tell. And, uh, and so... Uh, thank you very much. Uh, I've been talking to Dr. Dan Anderson, who's at Iowa State University. Um, my name is John Patience, and um, we hope you enjoyed the podcast today. Thank you very much. Looking to elevate your brand and captivate audiences through the power of podcasting? Look no further. Introducing the custom podcast brought to you by Wisemetics, where we take care of the behind the scenes so that you can focus on what truly matters. Podcasting has become an invaluable tool for brand awareness, but let's face it, putting it into practice can be a daunting task. It's incredibly time-consuming and requires technical know-how. But don't worry, we've got you covered. With our experienced team at The Help, we'll handle the operational aspects so you can channel your energy into what your company does best. Are you ready to unleash the podcasting potential of your company? Schedule a call with one of our specialists today at the link in the bottom of this episode. You'll also receive a free podcast strategy consult tailored to the unique needs and goals of your business.